Good, good evening to everyone here tonight and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. I'm really glad that you've all joined us here. And uh, as I know, there's going to be a great dose of encouragement and hope coming your way. Are you ready for that tonight? There's a great, a great dose of hope and encouragement. And uh, I'd like if I could just to start and read 2 Corinthians 4.8. I'll just go to that. And uh, this is Paul speaking. And to start off on a really, really encouraging note, Paul says... We are hard-pressed on every side. Are you feeling encouraged yet? Yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Can you feel that encouragement already? I was watching a Christian ministry program some time ago on TV, and, and it related and spoke on the stresses of life on the scale of 1 to 10. And uh, when you read this short account there by Paul, most of those things he was feeling were probably on a scale up to about 10, I'd suppose. And, uh, but in this ministry program, it was talking about the stresses of just simply moving house. And it was up there. Not being able to find your socks and your jocks is a big thing on the stress scale. And uh, perhaps a new job or no job at all, financial concerns, relationship issues, death of a loved one, an injury and sickness. Perhaps you're going to a new church or you've left your old church because you've moved town. But there are stress levels and uh, I'd like to talk about a little bit about that tonight. And uh, is, is it okay if I be real here in the house tonight? And for those listening online... I know I'm speaking to someone because I, I wanted to speak about uh, Ephesians right till about two o'clock this afternoon and I felt the Lord just changed tack big time. All week I thought I'd speak about Ephesians, so I think I'll do that on Sunday. But um, not that there would be anybody here or listening online who has ever felt any degree of stress because the world is so perfect right now, amen? It's so wonderful right now, isn't it? Turn on the news and it's all hunky-dory. But can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? There are real stress levels. Whether you're a born-again believer or not, it makes no difference. We all experience life. Paul spoke about being hard-pressed on every side. And I think you know what I mean. That at times and certain seasons in our life, it seems like that wherever we go, there seems to be a hard-pressing. The going is not easy. When things sometimes don't go quite to plan, someone would say, stuff happens. And I'm sure in your workplace, there are many variations of that. Stuff happens, amen? And, uh, but stuff happens, and I've always called, it's just called life. And Jesus in Matthew 7, 24 and 27, let me quickly go there, and uh, to give it some context. And uh, I like to give context, uh, Matthew 7, 24 to 20, uh, 27, and this is Jesus speaking, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So this is the wise man. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, fell and great was its fall. And so you see, uh, both the wise and the foolish experience the rain, the floods, and the winds of adversity. It matters not who you are, things happen. And so as born-again, spirit-filled, blood-washed citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we don't have diplomatic immunity from many of life's trials, testings, and tribulations. In fact, if the truth be really known, uh, being a born-again believer can actually add to your list of things that can actually cause stress. Could I have an amen to that? Uh, many people will be able to testify. If you go full-on for God, there is plenty of opposition and uh, from sometimes the most unlikely of places. So I'm aware that this message in a time when life enhancement ministry is popular, and that's true, isn't it? That this reality comes as some surprise when things do actually happen, amen? But uh, how do we respond to life's day-to-day pressures? And not only day-to-day, but there's some periods in our life when there seems to be excessive pressure. And as it is commonly known, that life is 10% of what happens and 90% then on how we respond to what happens. And so Job himself realized all too quickly that there's only so much counseling, even from well-intentioned friends that you can take, amen? There's only so much counseling. Imagine enduring 40 chapters of that counseling. They were quiet for the first seven days and that ended their really good counseling. And so... um, But at the end of about 40 chapters of counselling from his so-called friends, it doesn't say that Job wanted to kill him, it says God wanted to kill his friends, amen? And had not Job prayed for his friends, his friends actually would have perished. And so, I hope you don't mind, but I'd like to be real here tonight when discussing the realities of life's pressures. Because we can all put on a really, really good smile and a facade, and on the outside we can look pretty good. We can really pep it up, can't we? And uh, we are currently living in an environment where if, where if something is wrong, not flowing, not going your way, that we can quickly blame others. And we are really in a blame sort of society and or a mindset. It is always somebody else's problems. It's always perhaps the way you were brought up. It's an education system. It was with teacher. It was your pastor. It was your church. It was your parents. It's your DNA, and the list goes on. But the last person ever responsible is ourselves. And so we call what they call the blame game. But I'd like that if uh, to change that a little bit tonight, to take absolutely full ownership of where we are and how we respond to some of life's trials and tribulations. So I believe we should take full responsibility. I know that's a rare thought, but I'm here tonight to encourage you to encourage yourself in the Lord. Why do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. And if there's uh, anything that you know that you can rely on, and possibly, I think it is the only thing that, I don't trust myself. I trust the Word of God before I trust myself, let alone anybody else. And so the title of my message tonight is Encouraging Myself in God. So tap your neighbour and say, I'm being encouraged to encourage myself tonight. (laughs) I've been encouraged to encourage myself. It's a unique idea, isn't it? To do something for ourselves. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. But we've come together and there is an added bonus there. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds 
Let us not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And it says here, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day, of course, is the day of the Lord. A great day for some, not such a good day for others. And so um, I'm not here so much to motivate you, but rather to inspire you. And that word inspire uh, from our Greek originates from a word which means God breathes. It's where you get the word pneumata or, or pneuma or pneumatic tire is the same word, God breathes. And so, and uh, I'm talking about a breath of God from within. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you and that out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. I pray that before the end of this message, you're going to begin to sense some rivers of living water. Whether you're having a good week or a bad week matters not. Isaiah, and God says uh, to Isaiah in 64, 17, he says, And there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. Who's to stir ourselves up? We are to stir ourselves up. David understood this principle in God, even though it was written 750 years later than the days when David lived. It is written in the Word of God. I'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I pray that you go there right now, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I'm going to read about six verses. So here I am in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and reading from verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from great to small, small to great and they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. Now the men wouldn't have known they didn't kill anybody but they, did, but they didn't. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Everything that they owned had gone or was burnt. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened or encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now that is the response. They were all distressed, but it was David who responded the way that he did. It says, uh, but David encouraged himself. That's the King James Version. Strengthened himself is the New King James and the NIV in the Lord is God. So there's two reactions to the distress they all experienced. Uh, David laid hold on the Lord is God. Other versions say David took strength from the Lord. That's the Living Bible. But David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. In contrast to this, we see the Bible says the men were greatly grieved. Other words used are the men were greatly distressed. I like the modern language version that says the men were in an ugly mood. <laughs> Isn't that a great translation? The men were in an ugly mood. Have you ever worked with blokes on site and the men were in an ugly mood? It's not a great place to be, is it? 
The men were bitter in soul, is the revised standard version. So David was, in fact, uh, as a leader, he was in no position to encourage anybody, which is the greatest, that is the greatest task of any leader, to encourage somebody when he himself doesn't feel encouraged at all. So, but he was in no position to encourage anybody else as a leader until he himself had encouraged himself in God. You and I are in no ability to lead our families, to lead in the workplace, to lead in this community, unless we ourselves are encouraged. And at that point in time, David had a choice. As we, when the pressure comes on, we all have a choice. And I can respond in the spirit or I can respond in the flesh. And we know what both of those is like. We can play the blame game. We can go for substance abuse. That's a pretty good way. When the pressure comes on, what do I do? I run back to my, to my little hollow of a house and get into substance abuse. So it brings another meaning to getting stoned at Ziklag, doesn't it? And so I've called... <laughs> well, that's true, isn't it? And, and for a lot of people, when the pressure comes on, what do they do? They get stoned wherever they are, amen? And so the, the alternative title of my message tonight is Getting Stoned at Ziklag. So, but a focus on God is a focus on the solution, amen? That is absolutely... Because that's the source of where your solution will come from. David said, I look to the hills from where comes my help. The world may say with the greatest intention and the greatest good intention. They say, and it's always said in a sorrowful way, but a beautiful way, and they put her arms around. They said, a burden shared is a burden halved. Oh, I've heard another one. He says, a friend in need is a pest. I'm not sure what proverb that is, but, but in most cases, I have found that a sharing a burden, a sharing of a burden often doubles the burden. It can very well do that, depending on the person whom you speak to. Well-intentioned people, your best mates, they will take your burden on and, uh, and instead of one person depressed, now there are two depressed people, amen? And that is a shared burden. Joyce Meyer said the same, go to the throne and not to the phone. Sharing your burden is getting on the phone and begin to talk about the stress that you are under. And if you've got a really good friend, they said, oh, I understand. Oh, I feel your pain. Oh, this and oh, that. And they do it with such an empathy that by the end of the phone call, you've got two depressed people and now someone else is going to get on the phone and tell somebody else. And it's called a prayer chain. But when we give voice... <laughs> well, that's true. I, I've never liked to be part of a prayer chain. and The whole community knows what's going on. And the whole community is giving voice and giving substance to an issue, and it actually does not diminish, but when you think about it, it incrementally, substantially gets bigger, because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Listen to this. When, when David was pretending madness before Avimelech, who drove him away and he departed, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Oh, what a response. David had something here. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 34 verse 2, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Think about this. this he was in tremendous distress. 
so much so that he was pleading madness before this king, and he had nowhere to go. He was in exile. Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. What about this one? Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, it's beautiful. Verse 5, they looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. You see, the countenance of your face, the eyes are the window to the soul, but your eyes, when you've been in the face of God, do not look the same. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Isn't that a good, isn't that a good response? When you're in that iron furnace, how you respond will be determine what happens with you and those around you. When you seek God in the day when pressure comes to bear, you invite the Prince of Peace into the equation. Wouldn't you like that? In the most intensive situations, why wouldn't you want the Prince of Peace in that very... And you think to know God is to know peace, isn't it? To know God. And that word know is always talking about an intimacy with God. To know God is to know peace. But to the world out there, know God, know peace. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Know God and you'll know peace. Know God and you'll have no peace. Same words, but what a different spectrum to live your life. And when I look at that psalm, it becomes plain to me that what I think about, what I speak about, is literally what comes about. Isn't that interesting? What I think about, what I speak about, what you give voice to, will come about. Because you declare a word, you see, the kingdom of heaven is voice activated. And you speak things into being. When you hear, when you fear God, you don't fear anything else. Isn't that good? When you fear God, you don't fear anything else. When you fear God, faith kicks in and fear is kicked out. Having a reverential fear of God, faith kicks in. Encouraging myself in God, strengthening myself as God as David did in Ziklag. He didn't get stoned. No, he didn't. Oh, no, he didn't. He encouraged himself with, with God. A healthy, reverential fear of God will deliver you from every other fear. So if you're going to have any fear in your life, let it be a reverential fear of God. Having a determination in your heart that through the storm, yet I will praise him. These come out of a song that I downloaded years ago. There was just something about the lyrics through the storm, yet I will praise him. Despite it all, yet I will sing. I don't care how good or bad you sing. It doesn't matter. When you sing to the Lord, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Despite it all, yet I will sing. Through the good or bad, yet I will worship. I think the other point I made here, a focus on God at this point is a focus on the solution. When you come before the throne, when the pressure is on, I want to say it's great to have good friends. But just know this, when you begin to give voice to your problems, they will only amplify. And, and I've proved that. 
And so, but God, we sang it in these songs tonight, and it was so pertinent. He is your refuge. He's your strength. He's the anchor of your soul. Where there seems to be no way, he makes it possible. Amen? Mark's Gospel 9.25, all things are possible to him who believes. Believes what? Believes that all things are possible. Amidst the adversity, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, making intercession for you 24-7. That is Jesus. Jesus says that in Romans chapter 8, that Jesus makes intercession for you 24-7. But in addition to that, Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so the Greek word for save, we know this is the word sozo, and it meaning is spirit, soul, and body. When Jesus came to save you, it was spirit, soul, and body. So we're talking about three aspects of your whole being. So the whole person is totally saved, totally delivered, totally set free. And so our other great intercessor, of course, is the, uh, is the um, Holy Spirit, also in Romans 8.26. And it says, likewise, the Spirit also, in addition to Jesus... Jesus makes intercession for you at the right hand of the Father, but when you begin to pray the Holy Spirit in addition to Jesus praying, then the Holy Spirit also adds to that prayer. And he says, one can put a thousand to flight and two can send a legion fleeing, so it's now a legion of power behind that power of your prayer. And so likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, verse 27, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so largely what it is saying there, the Holy Spirit is largely unemployed until the Holy Ghost is activated and involved in your life through that avenue or through that conduit of prayer. And so... Prayer activates the promises of God. Theologians tell us there are some 33,000 promises in the, in the Word of God. 33,000 promises. That's a lot of promises. And I, and I like the, the wording, uh, 2 Peter 1.4, for, for which by, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these and by these you would become partakers of the divine nature of God. And so I always think when God said, stood back and made light, and there it was at 302,000 kilometers a second, God stands back and says, it's good. But of his promises, he says, they're exceedingly great. Does that put it into perspective? God stands back at light, 212,000 miles per hour, for those who haven't moved on. There it is, 212, and God stands back and says, that's good. But in regard to his promises, in 2 Peter 1.4, he says that they are exceedingly great. Amazing, isn't it? Ephesians talk about the power of God that backs those promises is also, uses the same terminology, exceedingly great. So who am I in Christ? I'm a new creation. I'm sanctified. I've obtained an inheritance. These scriptures are not supposition or guesswork, but they are a reality from God's perspective. From our perspective, we think we don't have avenues or resources or things to call upon, but from God's perspective, all provision has made for the success in your situation, even in the most stressful times. I called upon the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. 
all in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the English, in every language, all means all. So you don't embrace the lie, but embrace and embody the truth. So five things that make the man of God, when we look at David, things were not like as they seemed to be. His, his wives and his children were not murdered. They were, yes, they were kidnapped. Were they redeemable? Yes, they were. And they saw the invisible world. David looked to God. You're looking at something that there is, uh, it is invisible. And the other, in addition to it, is uh, David, and as a leader, but you and I too, we're hurt by the world, but we are not controlled by the world. Amen? We're not controlled by the world. And so uh, when you think you are, then you will spiral down into depression and oppression and every other thing. But uh, hurt by the world, but not controlled by it. More to this life than meets the eye and, uh, and in this natural life. And that in addition to that, we are God's covenant people and provision is made for us because we, we have a special relationship with God because He is a covenant-keeping God. He is the God of the Word and He is the, he is the God of the Word. Amen? And so don't panic. I say focus on God. And uh, Jesus Christ is the high priest of my confession, Hebrews 3 says. And so I come to the resolve that God is the one who, He determines my future, amen? He determines my future. There's no way in the world that your life will be snuffed out. And if you're living for God, you're, under, you're one of His covenant children, then your future is determined by Him. The other important thing to know is, doesn't matter what comes your way, God is on my side. The great boxer, I forget his name now, George Foreman, he wrote a book called God in My Corner. God is in your corner. God is in your corner. And so um, in First and Second Kings, it records history from an earthly point of view. And we see David's sinners there for all to see. In fact, all the sins of all the kings is revealed in First and Second Kings. First and Second Chronicles, however, is written from a heaven's point of view, not an earthly point of view. And David's sin is not even mentioned. So you think, is there, a, is a, is there something stacked against me that heaven is, even is itself against me? But if you're a, in covenant relationship with God, it, there is no such thing. Your sin is not even there. Catherine Kuhlman said, uh, I have not sinned. They questioned her on a, on a divorce situation in her life. And she, just, she knew she was forgiven by God. She knew she was forgiven by God, and she basically renounced it totally. She knew her position in Christ and was not ashamed to tell it exactly how it was. It never happened. I have a great high priest at the very, very throne of the God, and he is the one who gives you security, and he is the one in whom you have peace of mind. Amen? And so it's been said that when I, I, one of the pressures in life is when one door closes, and people say, well... Oh, well, if one door closes in life, well, then another one will open. And, uh, and that could be true. But it's also been said that it's hell in the hallway because you don't know your future. There's many doors for you to walk through. It's another one of those pressures in life. But it is also one of those situations if you find yourself in the hallway, one door in life is closed, another is yet to be opened. Knock on the door of heaven, amen? And... Uh, allow the Prince of Peace to enter in 
to your room. And so um, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is Philippians 4, 7. And as we know, uh, uh, Philippians is uh, four chapters to 2,003 words and it's God's book of contentment. And, uh, but it talks about in Philippians one of the reasons for that contentment uh, there are also more than 30 verses telling you that in God, in Him, in whom, and that would be one of the greatest reasons for the contentment, but Philippians 4.8 says you're th- discussing your thought life. And so finally, brethren, whatever things are true, these are things we can think about. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are to lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When you're encouraging yourself in God, this would be a great key. God's book of contentment would be the book of Philippians. And in it, Philippians 4, 8 says, the things that we should think about and meditate upon on a daily, hourly, and even minute by minute by basis. Perhaps you're in the you're at home alone, you're spiraling. Perhaps you're out there mowing hour after hour and then you're spiraling in your thought life. I know these things. Why? Because I've been there myself. And I have to harness my thought life, harness you and begin. And I want to tell you that turning on the news all the time and YouTube and all those, I like the news. I like to know what's going on. I like to know all the things that are going on in all the earth. I, li- I have a great interest in those things. But sometimes these things, if you're meditating on those things more than on what is good, what is true, what is noble, what is, what is just and what is pure, your thought life and your mental state will pressurize and cause you to spiral. And more so as we see a polarization of the things in the spirit in the day in which we live. There's an ever-increasing polarization of the things in the spirit, and there is an increasing pressure coming upon the people of the earth. And so the things which you learned and received and heard in me, said Paul, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And so I'd like to come back and close then on that very scripture that I started with. I can remember where it is, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. And I'll close that on now if Jules could come to the, to the keys. And so, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Paul knew a thing or two about stress. He said, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You see, the reason why I'm encouraging you today is all these things came upon Paul, but he never died as a grieving man. He never died having felt that he had failed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in my body. Verse 13, And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I have believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the God of glory. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed by a day by day. Isn't that a great verse? Yet the inward man is being renewed 
day by day. He is encouraging himself in God. And so you are the person who can encourage yourself in God more than any other person. You have to be open to teaching. You have to be open to learning, open to prayer, open to worship. And so, and he says, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. And so your spiritual success from which all other successes in a believer flow from getting back. And you think, well, Jeff, what getting back to what? I'm thinking when you want to encourage yourself in God, you want to get back into praise. Amen. He says, praise is the power of heaven. Amen. All praise breaks the bondages. It allows an open heaven. Praise will open up the heavens. Getting back into worship. Getting back into prayer. Getting back into faith. Getting back into fellowship. Now there's a good thing. Getting back into fellowship. First thing some people do when they get distressed and everything, they begin to isolate themselves and withdraw. Men have a tendency when the pressure comes on to begin to withdraw. And, uh, but getting back into giving, getting back into, there's a good one, getting back to forgiving. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Getting back into the Word and getting back into the promises of God. Stir yourself up and take hold of God, said Isaiah. Stir yourself up. So I'd just like to close in prayer to, and uh, pray for you here tonight. I'd also like to pray for those listening online. And uh, I believe sometimes we need things, uh, discouragement and despair and spiraling thought patterns to be broken from our life. But then to maintain that way of life is something we have to do as an individual. Something that your pastor can't do for you. Your pastor is also doing that for himself during the day. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring these people before your throne of grace. For those listening online, there is a path. There is no distance in the spirit. I break off every spirit of discouragement and despair, of reproach, every lie of the devil, every enemy that opposes you in the name of Jesus. I break off every power of things that oppose you in the name of Jesus. I sever them with the blood of the cross in the name of Jesus. Right now, I pray that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I break off every burden, every millstone of weight from your thinking right now. Every discouragement, despair and depression I confronted in the name of Jesus. And I break it off your life in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, right now that you would begin to meditate on things that are true and noble, things that are just and pure. Whatever things are lovely and of a good report, I release that right now. And I pray, Father, at the strategic time, you would bring to remembrance, Father God, this message that David at Ziklag strengthened himself and encouraged himself in God. And I pray that you make it a way of life for yourself in Jesus' name. Sweet.